am definitely very competitive, which I think in business is good. You need to want to win to succeed. I think you fail every day in life. You make decisions that go wrong literally all the time. Better to make decisions and go wrong than not make any decisions and be in paralysis. More often than not, you're much better focusing on the here and now, on proving you're doing an amazing job at what you're doing. And when you do that, you'll get recognized. Get with it on sustainability. This is not a passing fad. It's a super industry. Don't hesitate to work in it. Welcome to Sports and Outdoor Mentors. In this episode, I chat with Richard Collier, the CEO of Jack Wolfskin. We filmed the episode at their impressive global campus in Eidstein, Germany. Jack Wolfskin employs more than 1,600 people around the world, operates 170 of their own stores, and is sold in more than 40 countries around the world. I chat with Richard about life before Jack Wolfskin, including when he was a middle distance runner sponsored by Adidas, his time at Heli Hansen, and his approach to now transforming Jack Wolfskin into a global brand. But before we get into the episode, I have one favor to ask. Please hit the subscribe or follow button. This helps us to continue elevate the content and bring more insights from even more amazing industry leaders from the sports and outdoor sector. Thanks for your support and see you soon. Richard, so before your professional career, you were a middle distance runner. Did this time as somebody that was clearly very competitive, how, how has that kind of influenced your career? You know, what have you taken away from that period? Actually, quite a lot. I mean, uh, yeah, one is that I am definitely very competitive, which, uh, you know, I think in business is good. You need to, you need to want to win to succeed. So that's there for sure. But I think also, especially what I did, which was distance running and middle distance running, you need to be pretty disciplined. You need to have a, a goal that you're working towards and you need to be able to follow a plan to be able to, to reach your goal. So, you know, those kind of things are drilled into you from, you know, teenage years. Uh, definitely, definitely helps. And also I was always, you know, even though it's an individual sport, I was always part of teams as well. And you kind of get to enjoy working and being in a team environment as well through through sport as well. So I think that definitely has uh, pushed me in my career as well. In your younger years, it wasn't all about sport. You went to uh, um, an extremely well-regarded university in the UK, so Oxford, um, and studied, if I remember well, French and German. When you look back of that experience, what would you say is the, the best and worst of that experience when you kind of look back from a professional sense now? Going to Oxford was a, was an interesting one for me. I was just a you know normal comprehensive school lad uh, from England and uh, was you know lucky enough to to get in there through the grades I got at school. And going there was something quite different from what I'd experienced up till till that point. Uh, very different social circles and yeah just the whole atmosphere of being there is quite different so that was quite a steep learning curve uh, to say the least I can remember at the end of the first term I, I said to my parents like I'm not sure I'm gonna hack this one out but they said just keep going it will it will get better and it did and a lot of it was actually because of the of the running side of things I was had a great you know group of friends through through that and enjoyed that side of it and then the academic side I kind of picked it up and, you know, worked my way through and, you know, doing French poetry from the 18th century was not really my favorite thing, but I, I learned to persevere and learned to get on with it. And, you know, if you, you work hard enough, you can normally get to the finish line. And uh, I managed to do that there as well. So it was, it was a great experience. And the other, I would say the other thing that I definitely picked up from there is 
lateral thinking. The whole way of teaching at that particular university is really about learning to think for yourself and, you know, be independent in your thinking. And I, I think I follow that till today as well. Okay, interesting. So, so actually the reality is probably today it, it, it's much more or almost everything else apart from the French and the German almost. Oh yeah, for sure. It's the, it's, it's, I think it's the way that they teach you to think and to critical thinking and uh, not just accept everything, not accept, you know, another person's point of view without challenging it and the same to you. And so you kind of learn that debating and cry, trying to find solutions, uh, which I've found, you know, very valuable in my in my career afterwards. It's definitely a, a, a skill that I think is under underappreciated somehow. And I think it's so important, especially in an industry where innovation should be what you know, helps us kind of drive forward as an industry. And, uh, and sometimes I think if there's too much or if people are not willing or a little bit afraid to challenge, you can end up in a bit of an echo chamber almost where you're just kind of hearing the same things over and over again. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's also the, the types of backgrounds. I think a lot of people expect, you know, a CEO in a company uh, to come from a business uh, education. Well, actually, I think it's quite good to come from more of a creative and, you know, arts background, uh, because you, know, you do learn to think and you learn to think out of the box and be critical in your approaches to things in a different way than if you're just purely learning the business side of things. Of course, that's important. But I think it's actually quite an interesting mix to have that side of your personality and your education with the uh, the business side as well absolutely well let's maybe this will touch the business side so you you spent 25 years a little bit longer i think now within the sports and the outdoor industry so initially addy yeah. then uh, 17 18 years with heli mm -hmm. um, and now obviously jack wolfskin but before you joined heli you were for three four years as a consultant so looking back on that experience you know, what do you, did you take away from that experience that maybe you put into action today or over your career, let's say? Uh, I mean, the consulting was, was a massive game changer for me because before that I'd been, you know, working in product management in marketing and very, you know, focused on the pure product side of things, pure marketing. Hadn't really thought about so much about the business consequences and the P&L and balance sheet and all those good things. And then going into consulting was really, for me, it was kind of my equivalent of an MBA. I didn't do an MBA, uh, but the, the consultancy definitely felt like a very uh, intense MBA, MBA for the three, four years that I did it, learned a lot from, you know, great mentors in that business, as well as the clients that we were working with and the problems that we were, we were looking at at the time. Somehow then from your education side, it was more the creative, the more how to think and how to approach things. And then, as you said, then the consulting was maybe more that business side that, that, uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, really great combination. When you look at it back over your time at Heli, so it was what, 17, 18 years, and I think yeah. you were so leading the product creation teams during that, to that time. Is there any one thing that stands out that you kind of took away from that experience that you've been able to utilize since you've been, since you've been here at Jack Wolfskin? I'd probably say it was actually people and culture. 
uh, because when when I joined Heli, it was kind of a quite an, you know great brand, obviously a lot of uh, heritage, but it was not very dynamic at the time, uh, and you know a lot of people had worked there a long time, hadn't really kind of developed with the with the industry where things were going, and it just felt a bit lost. And so, you know, I, I felt as an outsider coming in, I was, you know, just moved to Norway, English guy, you know, I can rev things up here a bit. And um, I think I really helped, you know, at that time transform the culture to being, you know, a lot more modern, a lot more dynamic, international, diverse, um, focus on innovation, product and marketing um, to really drive the brand forward. So I think that kind of, yeah, getting the culture right was the big, you know, change that I saw in my 17 years at Heli from, you know, something not being right at, at the start to having, you know, when I left, I think it was, you know, great culture and I still believe it is today. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty, pretty proud of that as well. Absolutely. And so that's something that um, that you're working on with the team here as well. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, it's obviously, you know, each company is is very different and you have to look at it, but some quite um, similar things arriving at Wolfskin as I saw when I arrived at, at at Heli and obviously we're trying to, you know, do that change a lot quicker um, here. Um, and, you know, some of it is really down to making sure that we've got the right competences, uh, the right capabilities uh, and even the right mixes in our teams. Um, so we've worked a lot on that in the last three years to to really set the tone within the business and make sure that we we have the right people, the right way of working, the right attitudes, and I think it's really really starting to pay off now. And when you when you say the right mixes, do you mean nationalities or or kind of educational backgrounds or professional backgrounds? It's a bit of everything. So it is definitely nationalities it's genders it's uh ethnicity it's creativity it's ways of thinking you know you you just it's a real when you look at your team i think you've got to look at the at the balance of people and make sure that you're getting enough of each thing that you need to kind of move the business forward because you know the worst thing you can have is a bunch of clones you know i uh, try to avoid people who are like me <laughs> and try and try and fire. I got some very good advice early in my career, which is always to hire people who are better than you. And, uh, you know, I think that still holds today, you know, finding the experts in their fields and then kind of bringing that whole team together. Is super, super important. And so you mentioned um, that when you started at Heli, you moved to, um, to Oslo or you were working in Oslo. Of course, your family today still uh, lives in Oslo, so you're doing commuting kind of backwards and forwards. Are you able to, I mean, I've personally done that, but Helsinki um, to uh, to Geneva or Annecy, uh, so I know that's tough. Are you able to find a good balance with that? And and if you are, you know, what's your secret? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a tricky question. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it is for sure tough. Um, you know, I've all... For me, I've always traveled a lot with my job um, in both Addy and Heli Hansen. I traveled a lot to both um, Asia and North America. So I was there, I was kind of permanently on jet lag, if I can say it like that. Whereas at least within my role now, a lot of the travel is, 
just European and you don't have jet lag and that's nice. <laughs> so, you know, I'd say that's the kind of benefit of the type of traveling I, I do now. Um, you know, is it tough at times for sure when you're on the kind of last flight home and it gets delayed and you end up getting home at three in the morning and getting up again at 7.30 for your first meeting? Yeah, I mean, those days are, are tough, but hey, it's something I chose myself. So, you know, that's that's how it is. And is there anything that you would kind of consider a, a non-negotiable in in to ensure that you do find that right balance and you are able to spend that time that you need with your family? Well, I think the non-negotiable is if my family say enough is enough, then then it's enough. So that's the that's the tipping point for sure. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. And looking at doing a little bit of research, it's as I already touched on. Obviously, what you said yourself. So when you were younger, you're a middle distance runner, um, and obviously, I guess at a, a reasonable level because you were sponsored or at least supported by Addy back in the day. But now it looks like cycling and Nordic skiing maybe has has taken over that. So what role does sport and that activity play in your life now and maybe the outdoors as well? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's always been essential. I've always, you know, since being a, a small kid, I've always been super active and getting outside, you know, started actually with football, was, you know, on the football pitch till till my parents called me in when it got dark at night, you know, what I was, I was definitely one of those kids. And then, yeah, def- moved into running over time as a teenager and kind of got that and just the, the ability to kind of get outdoors and get that fresh air and, you know, come back from a run and you just always feel fantastic. Uh, you know, don't always feel great during it, but when you get back, there's that buzz that everyone knows. And yeah, I think that was early on was something that was super important for me. And then when, kind of injuries took the toll and life and kids and business kind of got in the way then couldn't really run as much and then found yeah some new new sports that I really enjoy and you know love biking so both road and mountain and gravel I do do all of that and then in the winter I definitely ski a lot I do Nordic skiing but I also do a lot of downhill as well especially with the kids now they're they're faster than me but I still just about can keep up with them on those on the black slopes oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah not much longer what do you see is the benefits for you i i ask because i think over the last 12 months i think i've personally been through some kind of a journey around exercise and realized that at least for me it's i do it actually much more from a mental point of view rather than the physical point of view although arguably i could probably do it more from a physical point of view but what about for you? I mean, obviously you're having a stressful role. So do you find that doing that exercise kind of helps with uh, kind of getting out? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it, it's if, you know, if, like in the moment I've got a, an injury and I can't train, it's a, it's a nightmare because you don't have that release to get out and, you know, think about something different. You just, you know, have that hour where you don't think about work or don't think about anything that's going on in the day. You just kind of being there in the now doing a sport that's that's super important for me to to have that and especially if you can do it in the outdoors it's you know that's a that's a joy um you know and i think also i've gone from well i'd say that kind of competitive performance type of sports person i'm trying to stop being that (laughs) But I, I I struggle to just kind of do it for the enjoyment and for the mental side of it. I still like to push myself pretty hard and that's why I get injured. <laughs> okay. 
So when you look back over your career, who are the people that have influenced you the most professionally? Had a lot of people. I mean, you know, as always, I think you got to your teams and your managers always have some kind of influence, you know, whether good or bad. <laughs> you know, I think you you kind of learn and pick up things from from everybody you work with. Um, in terms of kind of role models for me, I would say my first one was Adidas. There was a there's a there's a guy called Michael Pivito. He doesn't work there anymore. Uh, but at the time, he was kind of definitely the the footwear guru. And he, you know, I think he taught me that when you work in product, you've got to be pretty thick skinned. You've got to believe in your ideas and you've got to go for it. And, you know, that was kind of coming in and seeing his his bravery was like, wow, that, that's, that's how I need to be. If I'm going to, you know, be successful at making product, you can't just do what everybody else wants you to do you've got to have a way and go for it and you know Michael was unbelievable at that and you know definitely learned a lot from him and then you know from the business side like we talked about earlier when I was consulting there's a lady Dorothea Ann Stockham who was my manager at the time and she was a machine just you know she could you know from a not only a work ethic but just in a way of working and like the uber professional and, you know, that really taught me kind of coming from like the happy-go-lucky uh, early, mid-early 90s of Adidas to like you're now a consultant and people paying a lot of money for your your hourly advice. You better be damn professional. And, you know, learning that from Dorothea has been fantastic. And I've actually used her as a as a consultant, both at Heli and at Wolfskin as a, you know, as an advisor more for me, uh, you know, some sp specific projects, but also just as a, um, an advisor to kind of work through difficult issues. Oh, great. Uh, it's great that you've been able to kind of carry that through. That's uh, excellent. And I think your point about what you learned from Michael, the, that having the, I guess, the courage of your convictions to go your own way. I think, I think almost in any leadership role that, that mindset is really important because I think it's uh, again I guess going back a little bit to what we talked about earlier it's very difficult to kind of get caught up in um, in kind of what the mass think rather than you know really finding your own way and believing in that and fighting for it which again from a point of view of innovation is I yeah. think so so important yeah for, sure. Uh, for sure I think there's a lot of me too kind of product and brands out there so i think you know that need from a leadership point of view to believe in something and really fight for it is is vital for the industry actually i would say yeah i think i think so you know it, uh, we work in a super competitive industry uh, there's a lot of amazing brands and if you don't stand for something and if your products don't stand for something and they don't stand out then why you know and uh, i think I always tried to push the teams to be, you know, the ask the so what question when they're presenting a product. Like, you know, can the world live without that? Then, you know, probably shouldn't be making it. Especially right now, you know, with the focus on sustainability, the fact that you know, if we were to be truly sustainable, you know, we we wouldn't be making a lot of product. Um, so I think, yeah, asking that question makes even more sense now because the last thing we need is is just more more of the same yeah. um so yeah something different is is going to be critical in your current role what would you say is your your most important task as the leader of a global business um i would say you know it's kind of probably two two elements one is strategy so 
what's the path? You know, what are we working towards? Who do we want to be? Where are we going to be in four or five years time? And giving people the conviction to say no uh, as well, because, you know, when you have a strategy, you can do the things that you want to do, but you can also say no to a lot of other things, which means people can focus. So, you know, strategy is, is I think has to come from the top. It has to be work with on the with the team, but I have to be the kind of, you know, the ultimate bearer of that strategy. And, you know, I repeat it regularly just so we don't forget it. And it's kind of at the top of people's minds. And I, I definitely learned that from one of my CEOs when I worked at Heli, he was fantastic at that. And, you know, I think that's a, a critical thing. And then the second thing is be the leader of the people. You know, you, you are there to inspire and push and, you know, help the people. You know, you, you're really the you know, chief exec officer, but really as chief enabling officer. You're the one who can kind of pull everything together. If someone's got a problem and there's ways to fix it, then the person who's got the most ability to do that in terms of pushing the right buttons is the CEO. And, you know, I, I try to do that for people as well. And do you, are you able to to find the right balance of the amount of time that you spend on that because I guess as being Jack Walsh obviously being part of a larger group and a public company you know I'm sure there's uh, you know you have lots of tasks from a group perspective as well so how do you find the 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 balance to to support the team and to give the team that guidance I'd say that's actually not that tough for me uh, you know I'm quite lucky working for top golf Callaway brands because they are for me they're a great owner because they really are quite when it comes to overall brand strategy commercial decisions channel decisions product marketing decisions they're very hands-off they want us to own the brand and define the brand and the path forward so you know I don't have I spend one one meeting a year where we discuss those kind of things um, and then the rest of the deliverables that we have as a corporation is more on the financial side. So making sure that we're, you know, providing the right numbers and hitting our numbers and doing all that good stuff. So th I think that's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a, of course, it's part of my role, but it's not an overwhelming part of the role. And I definitely have the most time to work on this business rather than just the reporting. Now, the finance guys, you know, they're they obviously have to do a lot of work on on that but as a ceo here it's yeah it's pretty pretty okay what are the qualities you look for when you're looking to bring in new leaders to your business well i'd say it depends on the position <laughs> first and foremost so you know you've got to have somebody with the right experience to um to do that specific job that goes without saying then i would say it's the it's their personalities you know, are they going to be a cultural fit with Jack Wolfskin? You can kind of see someone straight away, like who's going to walk in here and be, you know, a hit. You kind of get that feeling straight away of the type of people that will work. work. As I said earlier as well, I think it's also not just that person. It's about how does that person integrate into the team that they're working in, whether it's the you know, senior leadership team or their specific functional team. There's got to be a good balance in there of different, characters personalities nationalities all those things to get the right level of again level of thinking within the group that it's not just all me too we try to be quite flexible in our approach of who we bring in based on what the role is what team they're in and what what we're looking for at that time do you look for people outside of the industry so people you know to come in from 
I don't know, whatever, different industry to bring something different? I think it depends on the, the brand. I think, you know, here at Wolfskin, especially in anything that's been, you know, consumer facing, we're trying to bring people in from the industry because we felt that it was, uh, you know, we were a little bit insular. You know, we kind of really, we understood Jack Wolfskin, but we didn't really understand necessarily the wider outdoor world, the international outdoor world. And so we've been trying to bring in a lot of people with international backgrounds, but who have worked in our, at least the sports industry, but preferably the outdoor industry, have a good understanding of the competitive set, what it takes to win in in this industry. And, you know, that's been our focus right now. You know, there's definitely a time and a place to, you know, in product and marketing, if you bring somebody in from FMCG, you know, they're amazing at consumer focus, consumer centric thinking, category thinking. But quite often they don't know how to make a garment or make a shoe or something like that. So it's, you know, you have to think of that balance to, to get it right. So honestly, my my preferred option is to bring in people from the industry on those type of roles now when it comes to logistics or finance then of course you know any any background is normally okay but even there it helps if people understand kind of the business the processes what happens in our world rather than having to teach them teach them everything do you today work with a mentor or a coach from a on a regular basis and is that if not today is that something you've done in the past well, I would say that my my boss at Callaway, at Top Golf Callaway Brands, uh, Joe Flannery, he's kind of like a mentor. He's the EVP for all their apparel uh, brands. So yeah, he's my direct boss. But uh, I think you know we're both at, uh, kind of a, an age and a maturity that is definitely more like a, a mentoring thing of where you know I'll go to him like hey, I've got got something that I'm working on, thinking about. What do you think? And to be honest, he'll do the same back with me as well. Um, and we'll we'll try and help each other. So, yeah, Joe's probably fills that role now. How do you manage your relationship with technology? What type of technology? <laughs> Digi- anything digital. So let's say phones and computers, iPads. Yeah, I think I'm, you know, like anybody, it's it's pretty essential these days. And I'm, uh, I'm definitely a phone guy more than an iPad guy. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty, pretty fast on my, uh, on my phone, um, spend too much time on it, like probably most people do. Uh, but again, try to also be conscious when I'm back home and with the family not to always be on that and we definitely have you know a rule at home that when it's dinner time nobody in the family is allowed on the phone and we you know three teenagers you that's not always easy but uh we try to <laughs> we try to stick to that um so yeah you know technology is massive and you just think from sound really old when i'm saying this but when i started at adidas in 1993 you know in my first role i was having to send faxes to arrange a, you know, as an intern to arrange a basketball tournament, uh, streetball tournaments across Europe, you know, getting visas, doing all that kind of stuff by fax. So you send something off and maybe you get a reply in three days or a week and you don't know if your fax has gone through. So the kind of speed and the, just the ease of doing business now, like for, for well, certainly for my kids, they can't believe like they were that old and we had that <laughs> that little technology when we when we kind of started out working. 
Yeah, it was very similar for me. Yeah. Very similar. That's good that you have that uh, rule at home. But what about professionally? I mean, do you, because I think it's, it almost can take over our lives a little bit, technology. Um, you said you had that rule at home about you know not having phones on the tables. What about professionally? Is there any something that here within Jack Wolfskin that you have rules or or guidelines around the use of technology? No, we've. I mean, we've not we've not done anything there yet. I know it's a discussion about you know not sending mails late or doing like that. I think we're we're quite well protected in Germany anyway because you know as the headquarters here in Germany. By law, you're not allowed to work more than 10 hours a day. And we definitely, you know, don't encourage people to do that. Um, so therefore, you know, a lot of people, when they finish, they they finish. Um, you know, some of us, of course, are checking mails too late and doing all that. But there's definitely no expectation that you should be answering mails in the middle of the night. I mean, anything but. Um, and I think you also have to be to be careful and I think we're quite respectful of that with a global business that you know we have an owner who sits in California which is nine hour time difference we have our second biggest market is is China um, which is whatever seven hour uh, time difference the other way so you know you could easily put in 24 hour shifts so we're you know we clearly don't want that and we our, our colleagues in the US especially are very good at you know starting their days relatively early to make sure that we you know are not being asked to do late nights for them all the time so what would you say is your biggest failure and and how did you get over it and and what if, what if anything did you learn from it i think you fail every day in 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 life you make decisions that go wrong literally all the time and you know that's that's okay you you've got to it's better to make decisions and go wrong than not make any decisions and be in paralysis so you know i definitely live by that i mean i think i had a time in heli where we were asked to buy a lot of product um to kind of gear up ready for a sale of the company and deep within i knew it was not a smart thing to do and you know looking back on it now i should have fought harder and really, you know, kind of tried to put my foot down and really objected, and but I didn't. And, you know, that that was then tough for the company for probably 12, 18 months after that. So those kind of things where, you you know, you have a clear view, probably a factual view of like, this is not the right thing to do, but sometimes you just let it go. They're the ones that I probably regret the most. Like, you know, you should always push and at the end of the day if you've pushed then at least you've given an objection and you know maybe you're right maybe you're wrong but at least you've you've made your voice heard which i think is is only fair you mentioned there that failure is somehow inevitable or it it's uh it's not something to necessarily be afraid of and is that something culturally that you try and instill here and and what's your approach to that because i think that's something that's quite difficult in this day and age i think people tend to be quite risk averse many times and i think again that can have a negative impact from an innovation perspective yeah. so how do you how do you approach that with the team no i mean I, I i definitely talk about that very openly that it's okay to screw up as long as you learn from it so you know and i think that's kind of a lot of people are realizing that now that you have to tell people as well because i i certainly felt when i 
arrived here at Wolfskin, there was a a bit of a culture of fear of failure. And so people didn't want to take risks. They always look back in the rear view mirror to say, you know, do we have facts from the past that's going to prove what we should make or how we should market the products? And that kind of takes you down a very narrow street. And I think I tried to be very clear to people, like, give things a go. You know, let 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 let's see. Maybe maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And yeah, I think people now are realizing that's okay. And then when there is a problem, speak about it openly. It's like, you know, most people, I would say ninety nine point nine percent of people working in this industry, not just a wolfskin, are trying to do a good job. So, you know, if something's gone wrong, you know, let's look at what what were the circumstances you know, it's probably a bunch of different things have happened. A bunch of different people have made decisions. It's rarely that one person has really screwed up. So just talk about, you know, the again, from an old boss, the moose on the table, he used to say, put it, put it there. <laughs> he was Canadian and, uh, and talk about it and find out so that you as a team can, can learn from it. In Finland, I think it's a cat on the table. <laughs> it's very bizarre. It varies. A moving on the table in Finland, maybe. Yeah, good be. Good be. When you took over a CEO here, there was, um, in the kind of initial press releases, there was a lot of discussion around um, transformation of the company and um, internationalization. There we go, I got it right. Um, so three years later, what are the, or almost three years later, what are the strategies that you put in place and how are you seeing that pay off now? Yeah, so I mean, we had four kind of main pillars of the of the strategy when we set out in, you know, basically it was early 21 when we, we had the strategy in place was, first one was, um, we called it the brand reset. So really we wanted to say, you know, everything we do with product, everything we do with marketing, every touch point that we have with the consumer, we want to relook at it. So, you know, that resulted in a basically a complete new product range, a new logo for the brand. So, you know, updated, more contemporary logo for the brand. It's updated in a new store concept. It's updated by having a completely new look and feel on our website, on our, you know, all our digital um, platforms. Um, uh, the way we work with ambassadors, you know, the, the everything from a brand side, I think we've done a actually a really good job on that. Now, you know, is there areas of it that we still think we can do even better? For sure. That's why we all have jobs. Uh, but we're, you know, I think we've really modernized and, looked at the brand in a, a different way and made sure that we were pushing, uh, which I, I felt it needed to be. It felt like the brand had gotten a bit of a rut and we were like pulling it out and pushing it forward. And that's well underway. The second part of it was more about the company uh, and that strategy we called rapid modernization. It was, a you know, Wolfskin had been through a bunch of different ownerships in the prior uh, 20 years. Um, and most of them were fairly short-term ownerships, um, you know, for good reasons. And during those short-term ownerships, nobody really invested in the kind of backbone of the company. So we kind of inherited a lot of self-made software systems that were kind of outdated, weren't in, you know, line with the best-in-class solutions that are out there today. Um, processes that had kind of not moved forward. Um, 
and actually a lot of systems that were going you know literally out of date and we're not going to be supported anymore so we had a very urgent need to to modernize um so we've you know we've updated our erp system so we implemented sap uh we've done our warehouse management system we've done our um product line management system we're doing our b2b selling system uh in three weeks we're doing our hr system you name it and that's just the big ones and then there's all the other stuff there so it's been a it's been a massive haul on the on the operations and it side um which was you know doing that in the middle of the pandemic especially the erp the sap uh, implementation when you couldn't have people sitting together in a room to talk about the challenges was really really hard <laughs> but we've you know we've got through it thankfully uh, and now we kind of stabilize the business and we're now you know putting all these you know because they're great tools it's just difficult to get them going uh, but now they're kind of going and helping us uh, on the path forward and that and, and i think linked to that was also unclear process so who does what you know clear races for everybody in the organization so all that's kind of sorted out and then when you have that and a brand that's kind of going in the right direction then you're ready for internationalization um and internationalization is kind of two parts one is mindset so Jack Wolfskin's obviously always been a you know since his founding in the 80s has been super strong in Germany and the the Dach region in general not always been so strong outside of that region so we needed to get people here in the head office to realize you know they are servicing all markets not just this region we've got to be relevant for all the markets that we are working in whether it's product or marketing or services operations we've got to be you know have our stuff together in all of those areas so that was kind of one part of internationalization and then the second one was you know what's our geographical strategy and we you know we clearly said from the start the DAC market is our core but we want to build a adjacency around that core with markets that could eventually become part of the core. So for us, that's, you know, Belgium, Holland, uh, Poland was previously a really good distributor. We brought those guys in in house. We acquired them, uh, Italy, uh, and really building that kind of strong European base, but then having our big growth engine to be China. You know, we're, China's already our number two market, and we think we can, you know, double the size of that business in the next three or four years. If we're not a top three, we're probably a top four brand, outdoor brand in China today, but we can easily be top two, top three uh, when we when we do that with the business. So working hard on, on growing China. And then we have our kind of, uh, you know, long-term uh, bet, shall we say, is uh, is North America. So Wolfskin's not really been present uh, that much. Obviously, with the ownership that we have now with American ownership, we we believe that we can succeed in North America, but we also know it's going to take time. So we're doing a kind of slow rollout of the brand there, working primarily on e-com, but then finding key specialty partners to to build the brand and build the awareness and you know gradually build it up over the time. Um, so that's what we're doing on international. And then the final part of the of the strategy was people and culture. So to do all of that, you've got to have some great people. You've got to have a culture that's working and you've got to have the right capabilities and competences in the business. So we've done a huge amount of work on on that, both 
on a training point of view, a development point of view, but also, you know, changing people as well. We had to do that. There were some people who weren't ready to go on to the, the next uh, phase of the journey. And, uh, you know, I think we've now done, uh, done that work and, uh, you know, very happy with the team that we've got here and, uh, the culture that we're building on, on, on the campus here in, in Germany, but also in all our offices around the world. You have a strong focus to grow internationally. There must be some pressure somehow or difficulty almost in maintaining the authenticity of, of the brand of who you are at core. And also probably you're getting requests internationally for, okay, this is particularly relevant in China or North America or wherever it might be. How do you kind of address those needs, but also maintain that brand or authenticity i mean the core of, of who the brand is it's a good question of of how to do it but I, I i do believe in both global and local and you know you need to have a strong brand core so the brand core has to be crystal clear for everybody and from that core you should be able to say to a market what's right and what's wrong in terms of the brand so you know for us our main activity for instance is hiking so that's kind of the, the core of what sporting activity a Jack Wolfskin consumer does. Now, when you go to China and you go hiking, it's hot. <laughs> it's really, really hot. So they need a different type of hiking gear, so light hiking, which actually now what we're seeing is, yes, we're, we're kind of building these light hiking collections for China, but as the war world warms up in North America, in Europe, those collections are perfect for over here as well. So I think most of the time you can actually have a, a global collection, but with local focuses. So one part of the collection might be more relevant for one market than another, but that's okay as long as it's all around the, the core. Um, we're also quite lucky because we actually have a, a de design and development group in Asia who do especially local fits. And then also if we see there's you know, opportunities in the market that, you know, would never resonate here or in North America, then they can go after that, obviously with our um, backing. Um, so that's a, it's kind of a, it's a nice setup to, to achieve that. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And one of the other things that uh, seems to be a core pillar of the brand is a sustainable approach in the way you work. But again, how does that translate internationally because i think again the the levels of maturity on this topic vary quite dramatically in different markets you know some markets particularly the nordics in germany you know the there's a lot of consumer awareness and sensibility on these topics but in other markets even north america i would say comparatively to some european markets and china it's not the same so do you how do you deal with that do you kind of again have that kind of local approach I would say I think you have to set the bar where it's highest on sustainability. So, you know, Europe with regulation, with consumer expectations is is the highest. And I think we try to set our standard to to Europe. And from a storytelling point of view, you know, we're trying to also kind of push those stories, you know, and our information into China, into North America, even though the consumers maybe not there yet we think it's going to happen certainly i've seen in china for the first time people are talking about sustainability north america definitely we're, we're trying to say well you know irrespective we're going to have a strong point of view on sustainability and 
do the right thing uh, in all markets. And looking back, I mean, if you if you knew you weren't going to fail, would you do anything differently? I think people decisions are the hardest things. You know, I think by by nature, I want to give people a chance and really prove. Um, I think in some cases, maybe it took too long to say, you know, this person is right for the role or wrong for the role and, you know, could have moved quicker on that and probably would have seen results quicker by making the changes that, you know, eventually got done. It's a, it's when people are involved, it's, it's hard and it's feelings and, you know, we we're all human and you have to kind of try and find what's the right time to do it. And, you know, I think looking back, I probably should have moved a bit earlier on some of those types of decisions, but, you know, I think, I also tried to do the right thing, so yeah. That's interesting. I have the, I don't want to call it a regret, but a similar feeling about my time at Salomon actually is right. that exactly the same thing. I, in retrospect, I should have moved a little bit quicker. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's when it's humans involved, people involved, it's these are tough decisions. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, it's whether it's, you know, people moving into a new role or a sideways step or even out of the company, you know, they're all big decisions and they affect people's lives. So, you know, they shouldn't be taken lightly. But if you want to move the business here, you, you have to make them. And it's, it's the hardest decisions for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something a little lighter. So... What's your favorite piece of sports or outdoor gear? And don't say anything that's Jack Wolfskin. <laughs> that's way too easy. <laughs> well, I just bought a new bike uh, in, in Spain. I've got a place in Spain where I do a lot of biking and I bought a Ridley Phoenix, which is magic on the roads down there. So, yeah, I would say that's probably my, my favorite piece of gear right now. I did wonder if you were going to say bike. I think yeah. I saw a photo maybe of the bike on yours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of that one. It's nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it looked cool. Very cool. And what about, or maybe you've already somehow alluded to this, but favorite piece of technology? Yeah, I think it would probably be boringly my iPhone. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's amazing. I think you're the fifth person that I've interviewed and I'm pretty sure you're the fifth person that said iPhone. Um, what one book, podcast, or any type of media would you recommend for somebody to read that wanted to enter into the sports and the outdoor industry? There's an English writer, Matthew Syed, who used to be a, a Olympic table tennis player. And he, he, his writing in general is amazing, but he's also wrote a, a few kind of business books on one's called Black Box Thinking and the other is can't remember what the other one is but they're, they're both on this kind of his approach to thinking and critical thinking and thinking outside the box super interesting reads and you know give a, a good perspective on 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 business but doing it a bit differently and are you somebody that would when you find a book like that that you would read it several times yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah go back and uh yeah refresh I'm, I'm not a huge reader of business books to be honest i but when i find a good one then then it won't kind of be moved to the side i'll i'll definitely refer to it on occasion yeah 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 i have really good intentions on that topic but i read always before i go to bed yeah. and if i read a book like that before i go to bed yeah, i fall yeah, asleep yeah. super quickly for a good novel to that yeah, yeah. what's the most valuable piece of advice you've ever received probably from my dad he was a local government accountant in the uk so he worked for nottinghamshire county council for 37 years 
And I think it's fair to say he didn't enjoy his job. And then he had a heart attack at 57. He was fine, but he decided he was never going to work a, a day again. And all he said to me when I then, you know, around that time was also starting my career. He was like, just do something you enjoy, you know. And I think that's absolutely the right thing to say to someone just starting on their, on their journey. Yeah. And you enjoy your job now? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Really good advice. So if today was your last day here, what would be your parting message to your team? Keep pushing. Don't turn back. Um, you're doing the right things. Won't always work, you know, especially today in the market that we're, we're operating. It's a tough market environment, but we're doing the right things and that will pay off in the long term. For future leaders within the sports and outdoor industry, what three pieces of advice would you give them to guide them on their career? Me in general on career planning, I'm not like a firm believer that you have to have this set career path, that you have to do things at certain times to achieve certain things. I've never thought like that. And I think more often than not, you're much better focusing on the here and now, on proving you're doing an amazing job at what you're doing. And when you do that, you'll get recognized, whether it be financially or you know, career stepwise, by doing a great job here and now best thing you can do for your career get with it on sustainability it's uh, you know this is not a passing fad it's the future of our industry it's the future of innovation in our industry and you know if you're not prepared to embrace it well, i think everyone's prepared to embrace it in our industry but you know really push it and try and find new ways of doing things then you're going to get left behind um, so stick with it on sustainability and push it uh, would definitely be a advice for the future leaders of this industry they're going to need to do it stay authentic and be core to the brands that you're working with you know i think the temptation is always to go off and try and do new categories new sports new areas of you know this is going to be amazing quite often or not keeping a brand to its core is the most successful thing you can do uh, if you've got a strong core and a good reason of being for your brand then then stick to that rather than jumping on the latest fad um, there. And I think that's, you know, always just general good advice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just going back to the, the first piece of advice there, you said you mentioned that you you never had a, let's say, a very clear career goal or, or plan, let's say. Um, and obviously you spent, as we already discussed, 17, 18 years at Heli. But when you were there, did you because we've also discussed about your competitive nature. So did you have ambitions to ultimately lead a business one day? I think other people had ambitions for me to lead the business in <laughs> one day. You know, for me, that was never an important thing. But I would, you know, especially in the kind of later years after I'd been there some time, I had quite a lot of people kind of nudge like, are you going to push for that? And I'm like, well, no, I'm kind of, kind of quite happy uh, doing what I was doing. But then when somebody came to me and talked about a CEO position at Wolfskin and what the opportunity and the journey was going to be here, then I was like, oh, actually, yeah, I think maybe I'm ready for that now. Let's do it. And so it was kind of uh, strange that people did talk about it in Halley, but it was only really first with Wolfskin where I thought, yeah, that could actually be a reality. Have there been any surprises or anything, things that you didn't expect in terms of 
being a CEO, not necessarily specifically about the day-to-day of the role, but just, yeah, anything that you're like, oh, okay, I didn't expect that. I mean, definitely one cultural difference for me was moving from a Scandinavian company to being a CEO in a German company. A CEO in a Scandinavian company is kind of more one of the, the team. But then when I started here, I felt like people were putting me on this kind of pedestal and I was like, you know, all seeing, could make all decisions, knew everything. And I'm like, uh, no, you know, can't do that. So that for me was kind of was strange. And I've, you know, at least tried to do my bit here to say, I don't think that's the future here either. And I think you guys should consider your CEO to just be one of the team um, and open door policy and anybody can come and talk to me. And those things are not, I don't think they're that common here in Germany but for me it's my way of doing it and you know that was uh, uh, definitely something I wasn't expecting I think the people side of it is is massive your HR person is really your a lot of the time is your your right hand person um, because there are so many people things to sort out whether it's you know small things or big things there's there's always something going on with the with the staff and you need to be there to to make the final calls on on what we're going to do and what's the right thing for 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 the team so i think those are probably the two things that stand out for me and that that people aspect because you have over a thousand employees yeah we're just just under 1500 employees globally does that responsibility do you does it weigh on you yeah, I mean, I definitely feel a kind of responsibility for them, but I also think everybody's got the responsibility as well. So I know it's not just me. So I'm I'm one of the fifteen hundred. So I try not to think it's all on my shoulders. <laughs> it's shared shared with everyone else, and people have kind of have responded to that. You don't want a, the business to perform badly, and you know financially, you got to make sure everything is right. Legally, everything's right, so people have a a proper platform to work with, and you know that's ultimately my responsibility. But other than that, I think it's it's uh, okay to live with. So the goal of this podcast is ultimately to help people within the sports and outdoor industry or outside that would like to get in on their career path so considering that goal is there anything else that we should kind of discuss or cover today anything else you'd want to bring up i think it's a great industry to work in i mean i had i can remember we had a sales meeting in whistler where we were in this fantastic hotel and heli had one side of the building and this bank had another side of the building for their conference and i just remember one of my colleagues standing up on the stage saying you could all be working over there. <laughs> be glad you're working here. And then, you know, the whole place erupted because it's so true. You know, we work in a fun industry. We get to do amazing um, things around sport, around the outdoors. We, you know, most of us get to travel quite a bit, see the world, learn to know fantastic people and cultures. You know, it's it's a super industry. So I think don't hesitate to work in it reach out to people you know it's actually quite a small industry as well i think you know it's certainly for people like us who've worked in some big brands as well once you've done that you know 10 20 years later you kind of know somebody in every brand in the industry and that that networking and that ability to talk to people and most people are super friendly and willing to 
you know, share information, not about their businesses, but about, you know, what's going on in the industry, how they can help. Is there anything you're curious about? Don't be afraid to ask. Well, a brilliant way to finish. So thank you very much, Richard. I really appreciate your time. It's uh, great to see what you're, what you're doing here. I look forward to see how the brand continues to develop over the last, over the next few years, not the last few years, the next few years. So yeah, thanks again. And uh, yeah, see you soon. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. We love to read your feedback, so please leave your thoughts in the comments below. Thanks again for your support. See you soon, and don't forget to subscribe.